Hello there, and welcome to episode number 101 of Blue Jays World Update. I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and let's get you up to date. Alright, so, we got plenty of things to talk about on this week's episode, including where things currently stand in the AL wildcard picture. <clears throat> We're going to break down what took place in the past series against the New York Yankees, where the Jays dropped two out of three games, unfortunately. We're going to talk about Mitch White's performance and his struggles and what needs to happen with him moving forward, particularly his pitch command and his pitch usage and when he generates his swings and misses. That's something I really want to focus on with him because I feel like once he masters that, he could open up a lot of doors. We're going to touch on Danny Jansen and his impressive season and then he broke or he set a new career high in home runs Wednesday night. Then we're going to talk about who might the Blue Jays have on their playoff roster for the wildcard series. Because as things currently stand at the moment, the Jays' magic number to clinch a playoff spot is down to one game. And if the Orioles lose on Thursday, they're in the playoffs. Which is funny because... The Jays are off on Thursday, so they're probably not going to celebrate getting into a playoff spot until Friday's game finishes, which is kind of weird, but also like it is what it is, right? So we got plenty to discuss. Let's dive right in. Okay, so unfortunately, the Blue Jays weren't able to win the series against the Yankees, dropping two out of three, like I mentioned, off the top. And, you know, there weren't high hopes of winning Wednesday's contest considering the pitching matchup of Garrett Cole versus Mitch White, which, you know, fair, considering how White's tenure has gone with the Blue Jays up to this point. And it it didn't start out well, the game itself, with Mitch White walking the first two batters he faced, which, you know, included Aaron Judge. Uh, and, and followed by Oswaldo Cabrera. And then he really put himself behind the eight ball too, giving up a rocket of a single to Josh Donaldson, which came off the bat at 105.8 miles per hour that put the Yankees up early, one to nothing. And then he gave up another single to Oswaldo Peraza that put the Yankees up two nothing. And then a sack fly from Marwin Gonzalez ultimately put the Yankees ahead 3-0 over the Blue Jays, forcing them to play from behind in the first inning onwards. And, you know, that's never a recipe for success, especially against good teams. You just can't fall behind by multiple runs early on. It's just, it's, especially when it comes, when it, when the playoffs come, it's going to be even more challenging to play catch-up ball when bullpens are so reliant upon in the playoffs and you have to face so many different pitchers you know making comebacks it's just it's very um very difficult and and and, and unlikely to happen in the postseason so um you know that's that's not something we need to worry about just yet especially because Mitch White probably is never going to make a playoff start for this team this season but um, 
these last few weeks have been playoff-esque baseball for the Blue Jays. So, you know, to ask them to come back from 3-0 in the first inning, that's a tall task in itself. Then you add the fact that they were facing Garrett Cole, uh, made it even tougher. And unfortunately, the Blue Jays weren't really able to generate much off Garrett Cole, even though Wednesday was basically a meaningless game for the Yankees after they clinched the division the night before uh, and had many of their regulars out of the lineup. Anthony Rizzo was like the uh, temporary manager for the Yankees in Wednesday's game too. So, um, you know, they were really mailing it in, um, you know, through the first, I don't know, four or five innings. It really looked like the Jays were the team. Uh, that that was probably hung over versus the Yankees who were um, because outside of the sixth inning where the Blue Jays were finally able to generate three runs off Garrett Cole aside from that inning they only had one other hit all game they had three hits in that third inning but outside of it they 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 mustered up just a single hit a single hit uh, which came off of Clark Schmidt in the eighth inning. So, you know, Garrett Cole was throwing a no-hitter against the Jays through five. Um, and, and that's just, again, you're not going to be productive no matter what your starting rotation does or what your pitching staff does if you're held hitless through five innings and are trailing 3 nothing. You know, it's just, it's troubling. And, you know, once that happened, it was going to be tough for the Jays to to manage a comeback. But thankfully, they rallied in the third inning and were uh, able to tie things up in the sixth thanks to uh, Danny Jansen's 14th home run of the season, which set a new career best uh, for for Dano. And I'm going to get into his numbers a bit here. Um... But that was followed up by a single from Whit Merrifield, who's gotten hot lately, which is very encouraging to see, given the the injury to Santiago Espinal and the fact that, you know, it's possible Espinal may run out of runway here before the end of the regular season. So uh, with Whit Merrifield catching fire here, that could mean uh, it's a pretty significant development for the Blue Jays heading into these last six games. Um, but after Merrifield's single, you had JBJ getting a walk. Springer's unfortunately lined out, which probably would have been extra bases. Um, but thankfully, Bobuchet came up after him, delivering an RBI single. Vlad came up behind him, getting a sack fly, tying the game up at 3-all. But then things unraveled uh, in the seventh inning on the Blue Jays a little bit, uh, and, and history was made by Aaron Judge as well, who hit his 61st home run of the season, tying Roger Maris's American League record for the most home runs hit in a single season. And unfortunately for Tim Mays, he's now a part of history. He is going to be an answer to a trivia question for the rest of his life. Um, he just, he didn't locate a sinker very well he, he left it over the heart of the plate and those are pitches judge just isn't missing this season you know anything left over the heart of the plate it's usually found its way into the seats um and you know sadly for Tim Meza, he you know he was a part of that um but 
one, you know, I guess positive thing that that came out of Judge's home run, at least from a Blue Jays perspective, um, was the viral sensation of Frankie Lasagna, who, you know, came ever so close to catching Judge's home run ball, but came up a, a, a bit short um, as it fell into the bullpen and, and ultimately found its way back to Judge. Um, you know, thanks to Jordan Romano and, and Matt Bushman and, and the Blue Jays bullpen, they uh, they handed the ball over to Zach Britton in, in the Yankees bullpen, and, and they ultimately gave it back to Judge, who, you know, very classy gesture, gave the ball to his mom, who, uh, who was in attendance at the Rogers Center. So, um, but, you know, that home run, again, unfortunately put the Yankees back in front um, and, and ultimately led to a three-run inning for them, putting them uh, right back in front of the Jays by three runs. And, and they ultimately scored two in the ninth and, and came away with a, an eight-to-three win. Um, which sucks for the Blue Jays just because they could have further cemented themselves in that first wild card spot with a win. Because the Rays lost Wednesday night, luckily, because if they won, they would only be a half game back of the Blue Jays at the moment with the Jays idle on Thursday. So because of the Rays loss, the Blue Jays are currently a game and a half over the Rays. Uh, and, and they're also two games in front of the Mariners. Now, if the Rays lose on Thursday, the Jays' lead will be exp- extended to two games, which is notable because the Rays have the tiebreaker. So Toronto cannot afford to have the Yank- or to have the Rays finish with the same record as them. Because if that happens, the Blue Jays aren't going to host the, wa- the, the wild card series. They're going to be forced to travel to Tropicana Field, which is not ideal because as we all know, that has been a house of horrors for the Blue Jays historically. Um, Not to, you know, plug my own work here, but I I did write an extensive feature for Yahoo um, about how important it is for the Blue Jays to clinch home field advantage and avoid having to go down to Tampa Bay to face the Rays in the playoff series because we all saw how that ended for the Blue Jays last time they made the playoffs in 2020. Now, granted, that was a different team. They're better than they were two years ago. But you don't want to have to go to Tampa Bay for a best of three series. You, you want to avoid that. At all, at all costs. Um, and again, with a win yesterday, they would have been able to increase their lead to two and a half games over the Rays. But still, they're in a good spot. You know, all things considered, the Jays are in a pretty safe spot right now with six games remaining. Um, if the Jays, say, go four and two over their last six, which would mean... Probably winning two out of three against the Red Sox and two out of three against the Orioles. That would give them four and two. Ironically, it would have them finish with the same record as they did last season at 91 wins and 71 losses, which saw them miss the playoffs by a single game last year. 
Now, if the Jays finish four and two, that means for the Jays to secure home field advantage by uh, controlling that first wild card spot, Tampa Bay cannot finish better than five and two over their last seven. And with Seattle, even though they're farther back, they can't finish better than six and two. Now that's that's pretty reasonable, you know. The the Rays have a very tough schedule. Um, the rest of the way, they got one more game against the Cleveland Guardians, and then they have three against the Houston Astros. They got three against the Boston Red Sox, and all of those games are on the road. They're done with Tampa Bay. You know, there there is a possibility that the Rays will not play at Tropicana Field again this season. It's very possible. Now, the Mariners have a much more favorable schedule, at least on paper, but they haven't really taken advantage of their soft schedule, right? They struggled against the Royals. They really uh, pissed away an opportunity to win over the weekend on Sunday, where they allowed 11 runs in one inning and ultimately fell. And then they, the, uh, the next night on Monday, they were held scoreless by the Texas Rangers and a game that was started by Robbie Ray. They lost that one 5-0. They, they mustered up, uh, I believe, just two hits all game. So, you know, even though the Mariners are theoretically in the hunt um, to possibly overtake the Blue Jays for that first wildcard seed, based on the way they've been playing as of late, I don't really see them making a late push over their last eight games to pass the Blue Jays because, again, they would have to perform better than six and two over their last eight games to pass the Jays. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm contempt with where things stand with the Blue Jays right now. Um, But at the end of the day, the Jays have to take care of business against two teams that they should beat, right? Like, the Red Sox have been extremely disappointing all season, right? Like, even though... Their roster is fairly talented, right? You have Alexander uh, Bogarts, Rafael Devers, Trevor Story is healthy. Um, you know, you got Alex Verdugo in the outfield. Tommy Pham has has had some nice moments for them as well. Um, the rotation is, has been somewhat better as as of late. Brian Bayo has been okay um, for the Red Sox over his last few starts. So, you know, they're they're not a pushover, right? But over these last few games, they know their season's over, right? Like they have flights already booked, tea times booked. Like their head their heads aren't in it, right? So, the Jays have to take advantage of that and win at least 2 out of 3. And same goes for Baltimore because their season is basically over already as well. Um, even though the Orioles haven't been eliminated officially yet, they're currently four and a half games back of the Mariners for that third wildcard seed. Like, they would basically have to win out the rest of the way 
to even have a chance at catching the Mariners. So I don't see that happening, right? And, and all season long, I didn't really think the Mariners, or sorry, the Orioles were going to be a playoff team this year. Like they've had a, a very promising season and it, and it seems like they're building towards something very positive in the future, right? Um, they, they have a lot of skilled young players on that roster already in the, in, in the majors and there's more on the way as well. So, you know, if they make some nice moves this winter, they could be even better in 2023. But as for this season, there's no way they should beat the Blue Jays two out of three times to end the season. Now, that being said, I truly hope and I'm praying that clinching home field advantage does not come down to game 162 because that would be a very tricky situation for the Blue Jays to approach. Because as things stand right now, Alec Manoa is lined up to start that final game of the regular season. But if he does that, and if he pitches that, he wouldn't be able to start game one of the wildcard round. He likely wouldn't be able to start, period, in the wildcard. He'd probably be available um, as a bulking guy of the bullpen. But, you know, you couldn't count on him for five, six, seven innings as a starter, which isn't ideal, right? The Blue Jays are a better team with Alec Manoa in the starting rotation. That much is obvious. He's proven that all season long. So, you know, home field advantage is vital for the Blue Jays. There's no secret about that. But if I had to choose between playing a best two out of three series at the Trop versus playing that series at home, but without Manoa as a starter, I'm going to Tropicana Field because I need my best, one of my best pitchers to be available as a starter, not as a reliever, at least in the wildcard round. I, I could see possibly Manoa or another one of the starters working out of the bullpen if needed, you know, later on in the playoffs, if that opportunity presents itself um but you know it would behoove the blue jays to secure home field advantage before what uh, before game 162 that way they could use kikuchi mitch white literally whoever you want to pitch that day it literally could be thomas hatch for all i care because that game would be meaningless if you already have home field advantage secured. In fact, you could literally sit everyone you want. You know, if Bichette wants to play, fine. Play him half a game. If Vladdy wants to play, fine. DH him. Um, but, you know, I just... I, I really, really want to see the Blue Jays lock things up. Um, lock that first wildcard seat up before it gets to that point because I want no part of Alec Manoa having to pitch in a meaningful game against the Baltimore Orioles during the final day of the regular season. Just, it, it would be a shame 
for that to happen. So, you know, if you can take care of business against the Red Sox and the Orioles over these next five out of six games, game, game 162 will not matter. And the Blue Jays can save Manoa for game one of the wildcard series, which would set them up extremely well to uh, compete uh, against any, yeah, I, either the Rays or the Mariners, whoever they end up facing uh, in the wildcard round. But, you know, speaking of the starting rotation, obviously you'll only need three starters for that series, um, which, you know, puts a little bit of uncertainty as to what Mitch White's role will be um, come playoff time. But, you know, for me personally, I am like I, I'm not gonna call the Mitch Mitch White trade a bust, obviously, because you know the kid's got a ton of uh, team control. Like the story's not finished with Mitch White yet. You know, of course. Um, to me, there are brighter days ahead of him. He's gotten a little bit unlucky during his time with the Blue Jays, that much is evident between the difference between his ERA of, of 738 and his FIP of 363. Um, you know, he's pitched better than his ERA would suggest. Um, but the biggest thing for me is that he needs to do a better job of one, locating his pitches so he doesn't walk as many hitters. And two, getting swings and misses when he gets to two strike counts. Those are two crucial areas that he needs to improve on over the winter and heading into next season um you know because he he has the stuff to be an effective big league pitcher um you know like i i, I really like his arsenal right he's got the slider he's got the four seamer the curveball the changeup, and the two seamer and he's able to get ahead of batters that that's that's not an issue for him the problem is, is finishing hitters once he gets to two strikes. You know, when he first arrived with the Blue Jays, he was, he was throwing a lot of sliders when he would get to two strike counts. Um, some curveballs, too, if he was facing a left-handed batter. Um, but now it's, you know, his pitch usage, when he gets to two strikes, it's, it's all slider and four-seamer. Um, he'll mix in the curveball and the changeup if... A lefty is up, but the problem is he's not really finishing hitters. Um, you know, like when he gets to two strikes, he's only got a, this month at least, he's only got a 13% whiff rate on his fastball with two strikes. And he's only got a 10% whiff rate on his slider with two strikes in September. Um... And that was that was evident in Wednesday night start against the Yankees, where he was generating a lot of swing and miss with his slider early in counts. But when it got to two strikes, he only got one swing and miss with his slider during those situations. That's not good enough. That's not, especially not against a team like the Yankees, who weren't even. Um, weren't even featuring their best potential lineup you know and you got one swing and miss in three innings uh against your slider with with two strikes like that's just that's unacceptable um for somebody who's trying to cut it 
as a starter in the big leagues. So, you know, I'm going to need him to, and it's not just Mitch White, it's collectively with the Blue Jays, um, coaching staff and analytic department, you know, together they have to work on helping him further develop his slider, but also his curveball and changeup as well. Because, you know, if, if he features his curveball and a slider a bit more, especially to right-handed batters, he's going to generate more swings and misses when it gets to two-strike counts, and he'll be able to finish batters much easier than he's doing now. Um, but because he's not that far along in his development, that's an area where he continues to struggle. And, you know, he, he probably only has one more start this season, and that'll likely come against the Baltimore Orioles next week. So it'll be interesting to see how he fares then. But still, the adjustments... You know, the, the swing and miss adjustments, the pitch usage, that's not really something that you can make this late in the season, especially in season as well, too. So um, everything I just kind of broke down is probably something we'll have to keep an eye on next spring when, you know, Mitch White arrives and, and the Blue Jays are able to get him into the pitching lab down in, uh, in Florida at their... Uh, player development complex and, and really dig in deep about how to uh, better help him perform at this level but the stuff is there the stuff is there uh, it, it's just personally I think it's going to take a little bit of time for Mitch White but um, you know I, I, I don't think there's any doubt that his ceiling could be a back of uh, like a productive back of the rotation starter like I, I think it's a little unfair to compare him to Ross Stripling at this stage of his career but you know if he can eventually get to the point where he's as versatile as Ross Stripling where he can be an effective bullpen arm but if you need him as a starter here he can also come in and and fill an effective role at the back end of your your rotation as well so I think long term that's something you hope Mitch White can develop into but at this rate, until he's able to effectively generate more swings and misses and two strike counts, that's something he'll probably um, come up short on, in, in, at least in the immediate future for him. But uh, moving on to the position player side of things here, I want to give some more love to Danny Jansen. I know we've, we, we've done that over the last few weeks, and rightly so. I mean, Danny Jansen, when healthy, has been phenomenal this year for the Blue Jays. Um, but I just kind of wanted to dig into his numbers a little bit more here, uh, and highlight how brilliant he has been this season when on the field, um, you know, with that home run on Wednesday, he now has 14 home runs on the season. That's a career best. He's already produced a new career best 2.3 Fangraphs war rating. You know, he has career highs across the board, like new career best in batting average, on-base percentage, slugging, WOBA, expected WOBA, way to runs created plus. Uh, he's got a new career best strikeout rate. His ISO is nearly just, he is one point off tying his career best, which he set last season at 250. 
Um, you know, we, we can dive in even further into more of the analytics. His average exit velocity is at a career best. His barrel rate is at a career best. His hard hit percentage is at a career best. His average launch angle is at a career high. His, expecting average, his expected average is at a career best. His expected slugging is also at a career best. His fly ball percentage is at a career best. Like, just ridiculous numbers for someone who has just encountered so much tough injury luck this season and last season as well. Um, and because of that, Jansen's only played 67 games this season, logging 228 plate appearances. But, you know, when he's been able to find his timing again after being off for so long, he's been a really effective player for the Blue Jays. And to me, when you're thinking about potential lineup construction when the playoffs come, to me at least, you have to think the ideal lineup for Toronto is Danny Jansen behind the plate and Alejandro Kirk at the DH spot. Now, that would be different with Alec Manoa on the mound and, and, and Jose Barrios as well. But for the most part, you want to have Jansen's bat in the lineup too, along with Kirk's. And, you know, that could further... Um, dive into the conversation about whether or not the Jays should carry three catchers on their playoff roster if you know more often than not you're carrying two or at least you're starting two uh, in your everyday lineup but you know to me it, it'd be hard not to get Danny's bat in the lineup every time you can um, especially too from what we've seen the production from Toronto's bottom of the order. Like that bottom third over the last, I don't know, two, three weeks has been extremely productive and is one of the reasons why even when, you know, the top half of the order struggles, the Blue Jays are still generating offense because of the bottom three hitters in their lineup. The combination of Danny Jansen, Whit Merrifield catching fire, Kevin Biggio having some nice moments, Santiago Santiago <laughs> Excuse me, Santiago Espinal uh, performing well before he went down with an oblique injury. Tapia's had some nice moments. Jackie Bradley Jr., give him credit. You know, he's working some walks, working deep counts. Like, he hasn't been as much of a pushover as probably most of us thought he would probably be um, when he first joined the Blue Jays. So, you know, like, it, it, it just bodes well for the Blue Jays down the stretch here and in the playoffs to have their entire lineup clicking at the same time because it makes them so much deeper right you're not just relying on your top four or five hitters you can um, expect production from all nine guys and even more like even beyond that too when you have um, you know, your bench players producing well so you know that's been really encouraging to see and and I'm so happy for, for Danny, too, because, again, he's been struck by the injury bug far more often than he should be, um, especially this season where, you know, opening weekend of this, of this season, it looks like he's going to um, catch the league by storm where he just started so hot out of the gate and then went down with an oblique injury, which cost him a lot of time. And then, 
once he came back and he performed well, he had that hit by pitch in Kansas City that broke a bone in his hand and he missed even more time. And now that he's, you know, been back for a bit and his timing is, is where it needs to be, he's performing so well late in September. So um, I just love that for him, especially because he seems like such a great guy to have in the clubhouse and, you know, pitchers rave about throwing to him right like all the the, all the debate or at least conversations that are are had amongst the fan base about you know who's the catcher of the future who's more meaningful um to the catcher position for the blue jays long term is it kirk is it moreno and then there's jansen who you know he's not an everyday player right but as a backup catcher he's a great player to have on your team you know when he you know his framing isn't as good as Kirk's but you know he calls the game really well um his pitch sequencing is is pretty on point all things considered uh and, and when he's providing this offensive production for you like man he's giving you the best of both worlds and you provide and you pair that with the production you receive from Alejandro Kirk and you know what's to come with Gabby Moreno like it just gets you so excited about the possibilities involving the catcher position for the Blue Jays over the next you know three four seasons and beyond that too so you know the Blue Jays are you know extremely loaded and at the catcher position and that's not a luxury a lot of other franchises uh, can say they have but it could prove to be very, very beneficial for the Blue Jays in the playoffs. And that brings me to my next point about what might the playoff roster be for this team? And that could very well change between what it looks like for a wildcard series versus, you know, a potential uh, American League division series and, and, you know, hopefully championship series and world series as well. But with the wildcard card round in particular I've gone back and forth with this about a few different times whether you know the Blue Jays should carry 13 pitchers 13 position players or there or should they go with 14 position players 12 pitchers you know and I think it comes down for me to you know if they were to carry three 13 pitchers that 13th arm would likely be one of either Kikuchi or White. And, you know, the more I think about it, it's like, do you really need a bulk inning guy in a wild card series? Because you only need three starters for that round. At the very minimum, two, right? And so, given Ross Stripling's experience of coming out of the bullpen more more you know more than likely he'll he'll spend the majority of his time in the wild card round as a reliever in the bullpen and you know if something happens to Manoa or Gosman or Barrios he's ready on hand to come in out of the bullpen and, and provide you quality length which Mitch White and Kikuchi can't do so would you kind of just be wasting a roster spot by carrying Kikuchi or White in the wildcard round? 
probably. So, you know, I think it's probably best, at least in the wildcard series, for the Blue Jays to carry 14 position players. Now, that also provides an interest, it creates an interesting de- uh, dilemma because then it becomes okay, do you carry six outfielders? Or do you carry three catchers and five outfielders? So, you know, obviously the infielders are set, right? With Vlad and Espinal and Bichette and Chapman and Merrifield and Biggio. But, you know, would it be more beneficial for the Blue Jays to carry Jackie Bradley Jr. and Bradley Zimmer? Versus having Gabby Moreno on the playoff roster. You know, like with Jansen and Kirk likely playing in the lineup regularly. If you wanted to say pinch run for Alejandro Kirk. And not have to, um, you know, lose the DH spot. If something were to happen to Jansen or... Um, you know, God forbid something happened to Kirk, um, and you wanted to have another catcher, you know, it just, it'd be a nice luxury to have for John Schneider to have Moreno on the playoff roster already and not have to contemplate whether or not, you know, you have to take Jansen or Kirk off the playoff roster altogether if they get hurt or something. Um, now the county are counter argument to that is well you could insert Jackie Bradley Jr. and Bradley Zimmer as late game defensive replacements which makes your outfield defense better Um, but at the same time George Springer is a better defender in right field at least analytically speaking so if you were to say put Jackie Bradley Jr. in center as a late game defensive replacement and you move Springer over to right and you either take Hernandez out of the game or move him over to left field, either or, that gives you a pretty solid defense. You know, I'm not too sure it would make a significant difference by having Jackie Bradley Jr. in right and Bradley Zimmer in center. Um, At this stage of his career, JBJ is better defensively in right field, and Zimmer provides you a little bit more upside in center over Bradley Jr., but I just don't see it being worthwhile to have Zimmer on the playoff roster, again, for the wildcard series over Moreno. So... If I were making the decisions, I would put Moreno on the playoff roster and not Zimmer. And I would have Zach Pop in the bullpen as your 12th relief, uh, as your 12th pitcher over White or Kikuchi. That's just what I would do. I think that gives you the best opportunity um, to, you know, fill in any sort of hole that, that, you know, may come up or, or even just overall gives you the best opportunity to win um, in a wildcard series against either the Rays or the Mariners. So, 
Um, obviously, there's still, you know, basically a week until the Blue, until the Blue Jays have to make their final decisions on what their playoff roster will look like in the wild card round. But um, for now, at least, I think. Assuming Guriel and Espinal are on the playoff roster and they're healthy enough to play, it should be fairly straightforward as to what moves are made. Because as much discussion as there's going to be between, you know, whether Pop should be on or White or Kikuchi or Moreno or Zimmer, that's all around the edges type stuff, right? It, it's not going to or at least it shouldn't have a critical impact on the roster you know like even if Moreno or Zimmer are on the roster they may never see the field in the series so um you know we no one should be stressing overly much um about these decisions but um at the end of the day, it'll be interesting to see what the Blue Jays ultimately decide to do, whether they decide to carry 14 position players and 12 pitchers or have it even as 13 and 13. So we'll see what happens. But at the end of the day, too, there's still work to be done, right? They still got to lock up home field advantage until they do. And until they do that, nothing else can be focused on until that goal is achieved. So... We'll see how these last six games go, but hopefully the Jays win at least four of those six. But that does, that does it for this week's episode. Hope all of you will join me next time for another edition of Blue Jays World Update. But until that time, I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and now you're up to date. And please remember, wear a mask, wear it properly, and get vaccinated. Thanks for listening.